and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. I got, I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when yeah. they're not. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Apologia Radio. This is our live Apologia Radio. All right, this is where you Yeah. Guys. Our first wow. live Apologia Radio. That, 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 means you, that means you can't tell me to stop and put a marker there. That's right. And not say that. You have no idea how much that happens. We go, All Mark the time. All Mark the time. Mark it, Marcus. All the time. You never hear that, though. Hold on. There you go. See? So there was a... Um, here, Darren Doe in the background. Oh, oh, that's <laughs> um, We had a little competition yesterday, and it was uh, which podcast has the best music? And we were number one. Right. We were. At our yeah. own conference. Right. At our own conference. How's that work? I think that was an unbiased report. That's right. When I took the poll, I said... Not apology radio. You Maybe said if Luke picks the music. Oh, whatever. Let's take a poll. Sorry now. to be a downer. That's right. They're, who are they going to pick? Speaking, We're recording right now. Generally of speaking, they're going to pick us. The, this is what I deal with every time, and I'm always like, mark it, erase her voice, mark us out of the recording. Generally speaking, it's my music playing in the background. You guys enjoy it or what? Like, okay, all right. So it when Gen- Luke, generally, generally speaking, generally. In the background, that's me, right? Not generally. No? We, we, we split you it. You guys probably recognize this track by now, don't you? We split it. Yeah, we do. We split with the, the intro music. We split. Like no, that. you don't split it. I don't ever get to pick the music. That's so true. We don't split it. <laughs> that that is true. We need to get joy. Patriarchy. Yeah. Patriarchy movement. Uh, no, so it's been an exciting uh, week. It's uh, been uh, a lot of exciting talks and uh, informative talks. We've got a chance today to hear from Nate Wilson, which was amazing, right? It was a blessing. Yeah. Darren Doan, my favorite, Dr. K. Scott Oliphant, apologetics, ninja, philosophy, theology kind of stuff is amazing. It's, uh, there's a feeling here, there's an atmosphere to all this, and it feels very much like... I will fear no evil for this is when your jokes don't work. No, this is... See, now we know what it's like. Everybody, What's it saying? as a fan of Apologia Radio, you know how much we love the movie The Apostle. Especially Joy. But Joy's favorite. Do so you realize, of course, that Joy, um, when we started mentioning the movie Apostle, The Apostle, she, uh, she immediately said, no, I haven't seen it. And when she saw the look that she got from us, that she hasn't seen it, she's held on to that. It's a matter of sanctification for her. She likes that it hurts us and so she has true. committed herself to never watching the apostle even though most of our listeners have seen the apostle and in you know it, it hurts joy Hallelujah. it does the devil thought he had the keys the devil thought he had the keys so um first live uh 
episode of Apologia Radio. Marcus, what do you think of the conference so far? Uh, it's awesome. Everybody here is awesome, so thanks for coming out. Uh, I think uh, Nate and Darren's talk was amazing, both of them. And uh, I'm just uh, tired. <laughs> so that would be, it's a tiring conference. It's a good conference. It's a good conference. We're not done yet. So not done. One let's go. Left. Yeah. Let's go. We got one more day. Concert tonight. The concert. Wow, that's Eshawn, awesome. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's really great. It's really great. Yeah. Really great. So, uh, Luke, how, how do you feel about the conference so far? How are things? It's been all right. <laughs> that's classic, Luke. It's good. It's been awesome. I am very tired, though. I just had about a gallon of coffee. I could use another five gallons. So, um, once Darren gets on. I think things, I might liven up a little bit. Okay. All so, right. I got to stay awake till weird. then. It's going to get weird. It's going to We're weird. all really tired. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's been really awesome. Uh, you spoke on something uh, yesterday. What did you speak what on? What did you speak on? You Just spoke kidding. Reforming, reforming social, social media. media. Yes. Oh, Jinx Coca-Cola. Jinx. So, yeah. Tell everyone I about it. I spoke Romance. on reforming social media. And uh, so we should reform social media. Yeah. And, and specifics? Uh, <laughs> and now you're going to reverse the, all that by saying some really crazy stuff live <laughs> in front of everybody because you're super tired. Yeah. Uh, no, basically, uh, boils down, I think, the two, two issues, idleness and not loving one another. Um, so I kind of spoke on that. You gave some specific examples of, you know, how we can uh, use social media in a way that glorifies God and how... We as a church are using it in a way that does not glorify God. And so you can see that if you're all access, right? Is that how that works? The breakout sessions? The breakout, the breakout sessions will be on all access, which is only a donation of seven ninety five per month. Yes. And you get over 30 episodes, after show. Uh, the Academy. The Academy. And you make which, this possible. Which, speaking of Academy, we're going next week. Are we're you? Flying, yep, next week. Yeah, you don't have my plane ticket yet, do you? Nope. Okay. Well, next week we're going to Moscow, Idaho, and we're filming, is it six? Yeah, six three-hour lectures from New St. Andrews professors just for the Apology Academy. And uh, Doug, Doug Wilson's going to be part of that. Nate's and, not. Uh, Nate is not. No, Doug Wilson's going to be preaching on worldview. So we're going to have three-hour talk uh, from Doug Wilson on worldview. Nice. In addition to a whole bunch of other stuff, it's going to be great. Is this, is this Darren's talk from earlier today? I was wondering when you were going to play this. What? This, this video Darren's. you're about to play. Oh, it's a clip from Darren's talk. Assad, dude. Okay, uh, sorry. <laughs> While they're talking, I'm just yeah. here trying to find this cute little videos. This is not even funny. It's right, right. lazy humor. What's that? You can't just play that. Oh, speaking of social media, wait, wait. Can we do something? I want to try something to see if it works. No, I got got to try this. Okay. Okay, Google. Ah, That was incredible. I've seen it. Like, the people are at the conventions, and they say, okay, Google. And, like, everybody's phones just go crazy. My but it doesn't work. Does it every time? Oh well. Don't anyway, say, okay. we have a lot of. I think you guys can. Can you guys just real quick, like, grab your phone and just like share the live stream of the show, like, all at once. And then that way we can like hey, get it. Are you telling me I can do it right now, just like randomly? You can just share. Okay, Google. <laughs> yeah, see, it's it, it works then. It's listening but all it, the time. I, I've seen the video. I yes. just wanted to try it out. I've always wanted to try it. It just out. looked up. It's listening all the time. Hey, it does listen all. <laughs> it's that new. Someone call Edward Snowden. 
Wow, that is crazy. <laughs> I thought you had to do some kind of That's Big Brother stuff no, right does. there. It actually just listens all the time. Well, speaking of reforming... Except for the one time you wanted to listen. That's true. Right. So, so anyway. speaking of reforming social media, if you want to know um, why Pastor Luke would have to give a talk on reforming social media, just look in the comments of the live stream as we uh, speak. Yes. Right now, it's yeah. happening as we speak. Yeah. Um, so, Joy... Uh, Can we pull those up, actually? How do you feel about... And make that part of the show? possible. We could probably pull some of those Let's up. Let's do it. We can actually watch our live stream right now yes. while we're doing you the live show. Mute it. Yeah. It's amazing. That's totally meta. Yeah. So, we Joy... Can see, we can see how well you're doing, Carmen. How do you feel about ReformCon so far, Joy, the girl? It's great. Yeah? Yeah, it's fun. Don't you guys love that Joy's back on Apologia Radio, like, all the time now? And you have to see, really, what she looks like when she comes in on Thursdays to record the show with us. She's been up all night, and then she usually, sometimes sometimes we are taking a long time to get stuff done, so she's used hanging sometimes. around, hanging around until we can complete everything, and so she'll be there sometimes till like, 3 or 4 in the afternoon. She hasn't slept yet. So thank you, Joy. Except for little naps on the couch. That's true. Those Play days are days. over, though. Get it together. That's true. She quit that job. Oh, right on. Right on. Maybe Joy will go promoted. to work full-time for Apologia Radio. What do you guys think? Yeah. Wouldn't that be awesome? Thanks um, for that. In front of everybody. Yeah. It's no longer <laughs> you my decision. want to commit now, everyone? <laughs> Uh, all right, so uh, since we're here, we wanted to um, do some live interviews with uh, some of our speakers, and so we're going to invite up to the stage right now. Uh, we didn't actually even ask his permission, which is the way you get things done. You just, you commit people, and you don't ask, so I didn't even get to ask Dr. Oliphant. So this is the you... first time he's been asked? No, I mean... Right now? No, no earlier I oh, okay. ran into him, and he, just told he didn't know. ask. I, I found out that he didn't know, and, you know, He so. didn't? No, he, he didn't ask. Yeah, no, I didn't. He's so. just finding out right now. So he was like, oh, I didn't even know I was going to be on the show. I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's I'm, right. I'm looking so, up the comments now. Just okay, good. So uh, Dr. K. Scott Oliphant is... Uh, Someone I greatly admire, and uh, I, I do want to say that if you have not um, read Dr. Oliphant, if you haven't been listening to him, I would encourage you guys, if you're into apologetics, if you're into theology and understanding the Word of God, um, Dr. Oliphant is somebody you really need to get into and really uh, learn from. Uh, when it comes to apologetics today, um, I said this on, I think, the last broadcast. I said that uh, I think that Dr. James White, to my mind, is one of the great gifts to the church because I don't know of anybody in church history, and I may, I may be missing somebody, who has done so many debates with so many different worldviews, and he does it in such a comprehensive way. So it's Mormonism, the Watchtower, Bible and Tract Society. Um, when you talk about even um, atheism today, he's gone against Dan Barker. Dan, uh, is it David Silverman? Um, he's really gone across a broad spectrum and Islam. And so uh, I don't think there's anybody to my mind in the Christian church, in the history of the Christian church, that has um, really gone into that many debates with that many different worldviews and really just given the church a great deposit of resources. I know I heard Darren earlier talking about Dr. White being like the motherboard where you can just sort of like, okay, I can get anywhere I need to go. So he's a great blessing and help to the church. Well, that's me, but there's a little bit of a delay. That's uncomfortable. Um, uh, I was hoping to distract you. But Dr. Oliphant, to my mind, I said this last week, that Dr. Oliphant, to my mind, is the greatest living teacher of presuppositional or covenantal apologetics, whatever you want to call it. I think he's the best. He's really helpful to me. Dr. Bonson, 
is responsible for a lot of what I know about apologetics. Um, and he was just a, a real gift to the church. But Dr. Oliphant teaches things in such a way and explains things, things in such a way that really helps. So a lot of times people listen to Bonson, they'll be like, okay, it sounds really biblical and amazing, but I, I still don't get it. Well, if you're that kind of person that goes, well, I still don't get it, I think Dr. Oliphant does a superb job of helping to fill everything out and explain just how this comes from the Bible. So if you read his book, Covenantal Apologetics, if you haven't read it, sell your shirt and shoes and go buy the book and then, and then read it. Um, if you read Covenantal Apologetics, you'll see what I mean. You get into the book and you're immediately reading about Jesus in the gospel according to John. And you're understanding how all these things are interconnected. And I do actually respect and like um, and almost prefer the change uh, from language and description between presuppositional apologetics and covenantal apologetics. Um, I, I like what Dr. Oliphant is doing there in terms of explaining what it really means in its approach. So it's a great honor and blessing for us in our first live broadcast like this to welcome to the stage Dr. K. Scott Oliphant. Come on up, sir. All right. And someone in the live feed said, it's about time we address the elephant in the room. <laughs> Actually, that's what we named our, our, our right. show, was the elephant right. in the room. And uh, so Dr. Oliphant is a professor um, at Westminster uh, Theological Seminary, a fantastic school, uh, basically Presbyterian school, right? Nobody's perfect. So, Wait, well, the faculty, all the faculty subscribe to the Westminster Confession, our student body from over 40 different countries and 100 plus denominations. So wow. in that way, it's not just Presbyterian. We, we graduate more Presbyterians than we bring in because that's our goal. Yeah. And if you, any of you want to come, we will make you a Presbyterian <laughs> in three short years because it's in the Bible. Hey. <laughs> all right, Dr. Oliphant, it's been great having you on. Thank you, Dr. Oliphant. You've been wonderful <laughs> right, today on first to broadcast of all. <laughs> Uh, so, hey, I, I learned this, Dr. Oliphant. It's kind of weird. I'm sorry. It's kind of weird. Sorry. Okay, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I learned this uh, recently that, uh, is it Westminster in Philly has a large population of Korean students? Yes, large That's population fantastic. of Korean and Asian students. That's, ama That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, the, the uh, missionary Bruce Hunt went over decades ago and established Christianity there. There's a large Presbyterian population in South Korea. Um, if you're going to be a pastor in Korea of any note, now the story goes, you need to have a Westminster degree. So we, we educate a lot of Koreans. I know, I know people who do reformed Korean hip hop. What? Like it's the, it's like super popular. That's there. next level really, right there. I, really. And they're There's, like really talented. You, you have no idea what they're saying. You're talking, to, you're talking about me then. You do, you do reform Korean hip hop? No, I've never That's heard. awesome. No, no. We, That's we awesome. actually have a member at Apologia who's from a Korean Presbyterian background. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. I don't see her though. Cho Cho. So, Cho Cho. Cho Cho. So, um, that, that, so that means like the Presbyterians are like dominating in, in South Korea. Right on. It's really, it's really. So big we should there. have the Baptists take over North Korea, and we'll have a battle. <laughs> right? I'd like to see that battle. I think that battle would be a lot better. Yeah, that'd be a much better fight to have. Um, so uh, uh, I, I thought it'd be really a, a gift to talk to Dr. Oliphant. Well, about two things, because it's really special and unique. Um, 
One is I wanted to talk to you about your relationship with Dr. Cornelius Van Til because that is, I think, a good story. So I mentioned earlier when I introduced you that um, your lecture at the Bonson Conference is my favorite lecture on Christian apologetics. And um, some people might wonder, like, why, why, why that one? Um, I think that it was how you brought everything down to its foundation and God, and God being the reference point, and you just did it in such a, um, a clear way. It was helpful. But you also talk about your relationship with Dr. Cornelius Van Til, and that I really, really enjoyed. So um, maybe a lot of people watching this right now on a live stream around the world don't know a lot about Dr. Cornelius Van Til. So can maybe you uh, bring us into that discussion, Cornelius Van Til, what he brought into the world, um, uh, the Reformed world with apologetics and your relationship with him. Right, yeah, thanks. And thanks for your hospitality, all of you. It's been great to be here, even at 113 degrees. Yes. It's just been a real treat for us to be here. Good. We're very happy. Um, Dr. Van Til uh, came to Westminster in 1929 when Westminster was founded. J. Gresham Machen, who founded Westminster because he was kicked out of the liberal Presbyterian church for being conservative. He started a church, uh, a seminary in, in uh, Philadelphia. And uh, Van Til had graduated and was pastoring uh, out in the Midwest, and, and Machen called and said, please come, and Van Til said no. And um, Machen called and said, please, please come, and Van Til said, no, no. And so Machen went out to the Midwest and, and uh, sort of like Pharrell to Calvin and said, this is the will of God for your life. So um, Van Til um, resigned his pastorate and came in 1929. Machen then died of pneumonia in 1936, so really Westminster was shaped in large part by Dr. Van Til and his, and his approach. His approach to apologetics, what he, what he was tasked to do as a professor of apologetics was to make apologetics more reformed than it had been, and especially more reformed than it had been at Princeton. Van Til studied apologetics at Princeton, so he knew what they were teaching. He sat in the, in the chairs, and he was a student there. And when he was asked to teach at Westminster, he told Dr. Machen, he said, I know that we're here to carry on Princeton's tradition, but we can't do it in apologetics. We've got to move in another direction. And Machen said, good for you. You're the man to do it. So he really shaped Reformed apologetics for the next few decades. I came into contact with Dr. Van Til. This could be a very long story, but I'll try to shorten it. I was a relatively new Christian taking a philosophy class at, at the university where I attended from a man who was a Christian, dear man, still living. Um, and he uh, taught a course on Francis Schaeffer at a secular university because he had a course that he, would enti that he entitled Issues in Philosophy. And he told me, the reason I did that is because I can teach anything I want, and it's issues in philosophy. So we, we had a course on Francis Schaeffer. I hadn't heard of Schaeffer at that point. Um, and then uh, after that course came uh, Christianity Today magazine. This is in December of 1977. Yes. And that magazine appeared in my mailbox, and I remember picking it up, and on the cover of the magazine was a picture of this elderly white-haired gentleman, and it said, The Legacy of a Down-to-Earth Scholar. And I opened it up, and it was an interview with Dr. Van Til. And, and part of what it said is, Van Til has taught such luminaries as E.J. Carnell and, and Francis Schaeffer. So I thought to myself, I should probably read the guy that taught Schaeffer. Um, so I went down. This is when you had to do this kind of thing. I went down to a bookstore. And, um, and I said, I want this book, Defense of the Faith. And this guy said, I've never heard of the book. I've never heard of the author. So he gets this big tome out um, that's uh, books in print. And he says, okay, it'll, it'll be here in a month. It took a month. So 
Van Til's book came a month later and I started pouring over it, reading it as much as I could. I was in Texas in the middle of the panhandle, nobody there, nobody to help, and I was having trouble with some of what he was saying, so I brought it to my philosophy professor and I said, I need some help here. So he took the book for a while and we met over coffee one day and he said, I don't know what he's saying either. <laughs> so um, as a young kid, I didn't know what to do and I noticed there was an address on the back of the book Westminster Seminary, P.O. Box 27009, Philadelphia. So I thought, okay, I'm going to write him and see if I can get any help here. So I wrote Westminster, and I said, anything you can do to help me here? I'm reading through this, and I have some questions. I'm just not sure what to do. And they said, uh, oh, we've checked with Dr. Van Til. He wants you to write him. So that was good news. So I wrote, I just began to write him questions. I would be reading along, and I'd say, what, what do you mean when you say this? And, and it, it worked this way. This was such a treat to me. It was like Christmas every week. I would send off a letter, and a week to the day that I would mail it would come into my mailbox um, these spiral pages that were torn out of a spiral, folded into a small envelope, stuffed full of his seven or eight or nine-page written response uh, to my questions. And we continued uh, back and forth uh, for a while, two or three years, uh, to the point where I finally said, you know, I really need to have a conversation with this man. I wonder if he would, if he would come to Texas. So I wrote him and I said, would you like to come down for a few days and help some of us neophytes figure out what you're up to? He said, I'd be happy to do it. So he came down to Texas and stayed with us for about four days. He said, he said here's, the, here's the condition. If I come down, you're going to have to take a walk with me every day. And I thought, you know, <laughs> I'm in my 20s. I can... I can walk with this octogenarian. Well, I'll tell you what, that guy, he picked them up and put them down. And he would, every day, he would go on a two-mile walk. And it would just be huffing and puffing all the way through. And it was, you know, I, I look back, I wish I'd had one of those little, you know, little recorder in the phone because I was just peppering him with questions. Tell me about Machen. Tell me about your time at Princeton when you taught there, when you were a student there. Tell me about early days at Westminster. And on and on he'd go, story after story. Just a fascinating time with him. And then we'd get into some of the issues that that he wrote about. So all of that um, led to my fascination with Van Til, and, and uh, by the time I went to Westminster as a student, I read, I'd read everything that, ha that was published um, on Van Til because I just couldn't get enough of it. And um, so he, was, he was just a dear and gracious man. And so I finally wrote him and I said, um, looks like I'm, I'm coming to seminary. And he wrote back and he said, good, why don't you stay with me while you find housing? So I went to Philadelphia and I stayed with him for a little over two weeks. And he said, use my car and you can just drive around and get, get whatever housing you want. So we, he said, here's the condition. If you're going to stay with me, you're going to have to go on a walk. I said, I know, we're going to have to go on a walk. So we'd, we'd go on this walk. And, um, and I've written about this in a couple of places. This is something that has, has never left me. It really um, struck me when I was walking with him. Every, every neighbor that he introduced me to, anyone along the path of the two-mile walk, and he would introduce me to various people, Every person to the person, not an exaggeration, would say something like this to me. Oh, I guess he's talking to you about Jesus too, isn't he? Because that's what he did. Every neighbor knew him as a man who would talk about Jesus. He told me of a neighbor whose wife had been ill and Van Til had gone to the hospital to pray with her. And the neighbor said, don't you go there again because I don't believe in your God. And Van, Van Til said, I won't and I'll pray for you too. He was a man with a heart for, for the Lord and that's what drove his defense of Christianity. That's what drove his apologetic. That's what drove his love for the Bible. And I, I count it a real privilege to, to have known him even in his later years. He was just a dear and, and gracious saint. Wow. What a story. Do you still have those letters? I do. 
Are any plans to publish them? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's one of those things. Yeah, I don't know. Well, let me ask you this kind of a personal thing, but when, like, you got to get Van Til out to you and then go, you, you lived with Van Til? You lived with Cornelius Van Til. Were you going fanboy the first couple times? <laughs> like, with me to you, when I swear on you, I'm fanboy, <laughs> and I have to try to contain it and act professional. I'm like... No. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think I was. Just an honest moment, Dr. Oliphant. <laughs> no, it can't be that way because, because Van Til was a great, you know, he was just, there, there's nobody like the man. And, and when I came to Westminster and, and um, took the position, I was, I was very well aware and am very well aware of the fact that his shoes cannot be filled. So I just want to continue the best of what he did without pretending that I can, could fill his shoes. But the, the, the nice thing about Dr. Van Til is, I, you know, I did what some of you have done. I brought him, you know, a few of the books, and I said, would you sign those? And he would sign, you know, Cornelius Van Til. And then he started signing Uncle Case, because that was the nickname people would, you know, Cornelius Case is the nickname in the Dutch, K-E-E-S. So he just signed it, Uncle Case, Uncle Case. So he was very humble and disarming in that way. And, and we, we really became friends. I, I respected him and would... Um, you know, do whatever he would ask and think whatever he told me to think. I just had that, you know, you tell me to think that way, I'm going to start thinking that way and see what happens. Um, but he, he very much, you know, put me at ease uh, fairly quickly. And, and um, you know, I, I, I remember one walk, I remember where we were. And I said, um, tell me about Gordon Clark, because that's where a lot of friction had happened in the 40s in the OPC. And the first thing out of his mouth, he said, I pray for him every day. And then he said, and, he, and he's a better philosopher than I ever was. And he said, I wish we could have worked more closely together. So there was no, you know, I don't know, people might get this way sometimes. There was no bitterness in the man. He, he loved the Lord. Um, he, he loved his gospel. And, he, and to, to his last days, that's what he wanted propagated. He was a, he was a saint. It's amazing. So um, yeah, a lot of people... I may have missed it, and I mentioned it today at the beginning, but I think it's interesting. The movie Collision, we're going to bring Darren up in a moment here. The movie Collision, uh, Douglas Wilson versus Christopher Hitchens, there's a really interesting scene. There's a scene where Wilson is in a pub uh, talking to Christopher Hitchens. Christians drinking with unbelievers. Okay. Christians drinking with unbelievers. What? Yeah. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's right. Uh, but there's a man, there, there's right a now man in there too. And when I first saw it, I was like, oh, that's Dr. Oliphant. So you got, you were actually in that circle when that was happening, that conversation, that debate tour. Um, tell me something uh, about maybe your interaction with Christopher Hitchens. What was that like? Um, because he is this, uh, I mean, he's my favorite atheist. Yeah. I, I mean, really, I, I love loved Christopher Hitchens. Just, um, I think, just the way he communicated, and I think I, I would have been able to be friends with him, just because I love how honest he was at times, and um, what was it like engaging with one of the most famous atheists in the last hundred years? <laughs> well, it was, a, it was a great thing for me. Um, as the, as the um, series developed, the Collision series, you know, we, we got a, a call at Westminster, would, would, would you allow us to come and, and do the thing? And I was very, very excited to be be able to moderate that and to um, to watch that take place and and before the interesting thing to me before um, the debate actually happened we all met for dinner at a, at a relatively a very nice place actually near the seminary in Chestnut Hill I think Nate was there and um, I think Darren was there we had a nice uh, table of, of folks 
and um, had a nice chat with Christopher Hitchens. And, you know, he made some comment at some point about um, how nicely he had been treated and how much he had enjoyed being with these people and, and being at the seminary. But um, after it was, um, let me just preface this by saying, I've told some of, you, some of you this, but I'm now just about finished with the book, The Faith of Christopher Hitchens that um, Larry Taunton wrote, which is a fascinating, fascinating account of a friendship between a Christian and an atheist. And so some of, some of what he's saying in that book I'm kind of reflecting on now and seeing some of um, what he's saying to be true. But after the dinner was over, the limo pulls up, you know, these um, suffering Christians, the limo pulls up um, <laughs> for, for um, Doug and, and Hitchens to get in and a few of the others to go to the seminary. And, um, and Christopher turns to me and he goes, I want to ride with you. So, he, so we got in the van together and that was just kind of out of the blue. Now I had, I had his book, God is, is not great. And I, and I asked him to sign that. And then I signed a book. He didn't ask for it. And I gave it to him reason, reasons for faith. And so <laughs> I said, if you're ever interested, I'd love to talk with you about this. And here's, here was his response. He said, do you think Thomas Aquinas really did fly around the room at the end of his age, at the end of his life? I said, what? Well, I just am curious, just curious. You know, it was one of those questions like, is he making this up or is this? Um, but we had a nice conversation in the van, some about Christianity, more about George W. Bush and the war and how yeah. he had turned and become uh, in favor of the Iraqi war and a hater of terrorism. Um, but I, uh, I, I thought the night was a, a very good night in a lot of ways. I think he was, I, I can see now from reading Taunton's book that he was struck very much by uh, these folks and other Christians that he came into contact with and the way in which he was treated. And I think his, I think, I think Hitchens, had, Hitchens had two significant insights. Sin is real and, and, it, and sin poisons everything. And not all Christianity is the same. And I think that, that sort of changed his, his perspective to some extent um, when he was dealing with, with Christian folk. So when we were in the pub after the debate was over, um, by that time, uh, he, he'd had a good bit um, to drink, so it was a lot of him talking and us listening. Um, but prior to that, after the dinner, we had a nice conversation in the van. It was a, it was a great, great time with him. I'm, I'm with you. I think he's, he was a brilliant man. He was uh, an excellent writer and um, a good thinker. And I think he, um, I know this, I know he knew God. And, you know, I, I hope that in God's justice, there was some change. Mm. Fantastic. So I, I thought that would bless everyone rather than just a big, deep theological discussion about apologetics and philosophy that really interested me. Um, so what this two weeks ago, I got a phone call from someone that uh, is a really well-known Mormon blogger, and uh, she has a book contract. Um, and she wrote me. She's seen a lot of our stuff online. And she wrote me and described who she is. And I was like, oh, actually, I already know who she is. And she said, and I want out. And so I ended up on the phone with her for about two hours, giving her the gospel. Uh, she turned to Christ. And uh, there's, there's a point I'm getting to here is I said, well, let me help you with some stuff that would be important to start as, as a new believer. And so I got her to the Forgotten Trinity, Dr. James White, some other works. But then I got her covenantal apologetics, uh, because I think the work is uh, a blessing. Number one, it's encouraging, and it's also just fantastic to, to firm you up, to give you a good foundation, and to arm you um, as a believer as you go engage the world with apologetics. So Westminster Seminary, if, I'm, if, if, if I am correct, still has this, um, has the iTunes um, thing, iTunes University. 
And I do believe, right. unless you've removed it, there is your, I think you have an apologetics course that's up there now. Right. That's it available is. to anybody. Yeah, that's for, right. For free. For free. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you guys can go get that and just, you'll see what I mean by, by how important this stuff is. And I would really encourage everyone to get covenantal apologetics and to look more into Dr. K. Scott Oliphant. So thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. Possibly. There's the music. All right. Are we going to break now? No, no breaks. Oh. Yeah, you got to hold it. <laughs> this Listen, is a first. This on. is a first. If any of us on the stage have a problem with holding it, it's not me. <laughs> every, ba- every break for Apologia Radio is for me. Yeah. See you guys now. It pays so you guys will all know. And you hear a break, the there's a reason for it. Time. Yeah. What's that? I said it pays the bills and lets us use the restroom. At the same that's time. right. That's right. It's really great. All right, guys. So uh, you guys having a good time? Yeah? Is that awesome? I mean, some people can say, like, oh, I went to class and I learned. from. Like, I don't even know if Bonson had, like, I lived with Cornelius Van Til. Like, I have lived with Cy Tim Brickencave. Yeah. Not at all the same Not kind quite. of experience. Not at all. No, I doubt it. <laughs> um, so, we're going to move on now. How you doing, Joy? Great. Yeah, tattoos are sinful, by the way. Um, you also have some. <laughs> so you notice, Darren. Well, the crowd here is really, I was talking to Darren about this earlier, the crowd here is really interesting. Um, you have a crowd of a lot of younger people, youngish people, and some of them have gauges and tattoos and from people from around the country. I mean, you have Alaska, you have Indiana, uh, Florida, California, Colorado, uh, Utah. Um, I'm missing Texas, New York. Hey, doing? Hey, doing? New York. What's that? Toronto. Yeah, we have some foreigners uh, from Toronto joined us. And uh, so it's just a really diverse crowd, and I think this is what I, I love so much about ReformCon already, is that you've got Presbyterians in the house. Presbyterians say what? What? That's the best a Presbyterian can do. You're like, trying to get, try to get hype. They're like, ah. And, it, and they're fighting the whole way. You see, they're like, ah. They're gonna, they feel guilty about, yeah. Yeah, Reformed Baptists. You see? You see? I don't know how to fix this problem, guys. I mean, what's that? It's even, okay. Any other reform folks at any other denomination? Anyone pretending to be non-denominational denomination? Okay. All right. But it's a really diverse crowd, and I love that there's an essential unity between us. Not everyone here is on the same page eschatologically. Um... Baptism, uh, issues of law. However, there's this essential unity here that, and just this blessed fellowship, and I think uh, a commitment to all the core things that really matter a lot. And I love that this crowd is so willing to fight and to engage, and that's just such a gift, a tremendous gift, to see that essential unity that we have amidst diversity, but the willingness to get into the world and to spread the gospel and the truths of the Reformation. Amen? Amen. All right, so with that, uh, one of the reasons I bring that up is uh, we wanted ReformCon not to just be 
you got to have a conference, right? Talk about Reformed theology, and this, we did our, our conference. We wanted a, something that would uh, equip people, be a, a long-standing resource for people, uh, but also that would teach people to get flesh on Reformed theology and to get it out into the world um, and get out of our ghettos and start moving in the world. So we invited uh, Darren Doan and Nate Wilson. Uh, we love these guys a bunch, and... They've had, for me, they've had such a tremendous impact on me. Like I said to you guys earlier, I don't know if this conference was for, for you or for, for me. I mean, uh, but we wanted to be able to provide people some foundational things to get into the world and start teaching and heralding. But also, also Leah. Leah. Yes. Where is Leah? Is she not here right now? Uh, I haven't seen her. Today. Leah, just fantastic help with yeah. um, marketing and different things and, and teaching how to get things out into the world. So let's invite... Our good friends. Darren Doan and Nate Wilson. Yeah! All right. You got your microphones? You got some coffee in you? Check, good. check. Check, check, one, two. Oh, so, uh. this is Nate Wilson, and this is Darren Doan. Uh, Nate Wilson, a little bit of feedback. Ooh, ooh, hot mic, hot mic, hot mic. Uh, Nate Wilson uh, goes by the name Envy Wilson. He has written uh, some fantastic books. Hundred Cupboards, the series. Um, his his uh, his newest book was I saw on Amazon, and I'm not sure exactly how to say this right, but when I went to order it, it was already listed as a bestseller on Amazon before it was actually released. It's a trick I have. Okay. How much do you have to pay for that? <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Uh, sorry me? about all that hot mic situation. I'm leaning back. Actually, um, and so uh, the and I'll just uh, and just the last thing I'll introduce here. I mentioned it earlier. Notes from the Tilt a Whirl uh, was my first introduction to you. I, of course, I know your dad. We've had him on the show just a bunch of times. I love your dad. He's just really blessed my life. And um, so I didn't know a lot about Nate. And then I get a hold of Notes from the Tilt a Whirl, and it was first the movie itself. No. That, that, no, that I, that I watched. That, but you did it in the incorrect I, order. I know I did, yes, yes. What's wrong with you, uh, man? I know, I know. It's the only thing I saw. I didn't know a book really existed. So it was the film Baptist. first. And you have Stinking Baptist. Baptist. Uh, <laughs> you got always baptism ba in the wrong backwards. order, and you got always everything wrong order. order. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it really blessed me so much that I was like, hey, we're a new church. People coming out of addiction, they need to learn to live and love God and enjoy his world and stop trying to enjoy these things over God. So in line with what everyone needed to know in, in the beginning of their relationship with Jesus. That meant most of them hadn't even like been into a church. Uh, it, it was all a new experience. And so it was just such a great help for our church at the very, very beginning. And so I actually got notes from the Tilted World, a book, started reading that, and it just rocked me. And your talk today was very much in line with that. So I'd love to talk about that. And then Darren, his film Collision, Free Speech Apocalypse, all that he has done really just inspires me because you guys are actually in the world interacting with the world. So it's just a gift to have you guys here. It's fun to be here. It's great to be yeah. here. Good. It's great to be here, Jeff. Okay, thank you, yeah. Darren. <laughs> thank you. So do you want to you open well, up? Well, I just want to say, like, one thing I admire about you, both of you is you guys are not, and you've talked a lot about this at the convention, is you guys don't class, you're not like the like you're not just doing the Christian thing. Oh no, brother. <laughs> you don't. So so I guess I just want to ask you like, have you guys sold out? Well, yeah, but we've got a great price. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I hope not. Yeah, it's. I, I sold mean, out I, a long time ago, but the check bounced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it didn't. Think count. about that for a moment. It didn't count. So, like notes from the Tilted World, I actually wrote. I was writing novels first, and I had a funny moment with Random House where they, my editor asked me if I could please write a statement of faith that they could just have on file because they were getting so many concerned, stressed out people saying, why are you publishing this guy? Don't you know he's a total freak? He believes these crazy things. So my editor at a secular house, the biggest secular house there is, Random House said, this is really embarrassing, but could you please write a statement of faith that we could just have on file to send out when we hear from angry people? We could just say, like, no, this is what he thinks, and send it out, which I thought was hilarious. So yeah, I wrote it for them, but then I, I thought that ba basically people were thinking they had, that I was keeping a secret, that my faith was a secret that I was trying to hide. And they were trying to you know, sniff it out and reveal me, uncover me as, as a Christian. And so I knew it was time to kind of just write my manifesto of faith, put it on record, put it out there, and that was Notes from the Tilted World. Um, just to kind of like yell boo at everyone. Um, yes, I am. This is what I am. And there's no secret. There's no secret to uncover. I'm not hiding this. This is who I am. Anybody who reads Notes from the Tilted World or reads Death by Living and then reads my fiction can see that it's all the same thing. Like, I'm, it's all one piece. No, that's no, good. Because there's a lot of hostility towards Christian artists that do things that aren't, like, specifically evangelistic or ministry-driven. I could never get... A Christian house to publish me. Yeah. I mean, I, I that was actually before. Yeah. So it's it's not that I sold out and went secular. It's just that I submitted my novels to Christian houses and they said no, thank you. Right, right. And then right. all the, and I thought I was trying to play in the minor leagues and then make it to the major leagues, do the crossover, the Michael W. Smith later. Um, <laughs> but it actually just went just big secular else. publishers and that was it. No, I. I, I thought it was, if you cross over, make sure you bring the cross over. Oh. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, is what? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> is that what Amy, yeah. Amy Grant told you that? Was that <laughs> Amy Grant. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I think it was a story I heard that someone said that someone told P.O.D. that. Like, hey, man. Mm. Or men, mm. whoever they were back then. Right. Oh, you! I mean, you do, you do, you do stuff, you you do stuff all the time, Darren, for just completely non-evangelistic, non-Christian. I mean, like, if if people knew the music videos that you've done, they would all know. Like, they would all know. But then uh, they would be mad at you for doing it. But they listen to the music. Um, so, like, well, why, how can you, as a Christian, I can't do, judge their heart. Right. <laughs> That's not a salvation issue. Right, right. Well, I'm just saying, like, how can you, how can, how, how do you defend doing, I mean, because people have those questions now, especially with, like, Lecrae, and he's, you know, just got bought by, uh, or he did ma a major publishing deal from uh, the, uh, Capitol Records okay. and stuff, and everybody, like, freaked out and was like, holy cow, like, he's just sold out and he's done. He's, you know, and he's going to hell now. He's Satan. Like, all that stuff is coming up. Like, are, are people really saying that? People are really saying that. I, I didn't so I'm just, that. I'm just, like... I'm just glad that we're not in that world that, at all. Darren. I know, like, it sounds crazy, but it's the actual conversation that, that's happening right now. Is like, how can a Christian do non-Christian stuff? We don't. We, 
We don't. I mean, I, I mean, everything I do is evangelism. I mean, I mean everything. I mean, so, and I understand what people mean um, when they say. How is that T-shirt evangelistic right now? Um, it's because. How's yours? Well, I'm know, not making the claim. It's it's my home, and it's evangelistic because <laughs> Jesus Christ is Lord over it. Mm. Amen. Oh, yeah. So just one. It's just Man. one more statement. I pulled that out, huh? So, um, <laughs> back off, Marcus. How's it evangelistic? Jesus. Just, just throw Jesus in there. Whoa, whoa. Um, I understand what people mean, um, especially since I sort of came to Christ in the Christian music boom, you know. Um, How did that? <laughs> you know, and that, here come, and um, clearly faith alone. Ready or not, boom. Um, and so everyone was, you know, as, you know, it's, it's so funny. I mean, I, I became a Christian, I was 16, 17 years ago, and I remember, I remember being with Christian artists, going on tour with them, and promoters coming out and being like, you cannot talk about Jesus when you come in here. I mean, it was, it was hostile. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Um, and then within 10 years, it was just like, there was, there was no more issue, you know? But I remember during those 10 years of, of, of you know, when, when I came to Christ, you, you heard the narrative and, and, and again, it's, and it's well, and there's, I'm a, you know, and I think we heard it yesterday when, you know, um, Le- uh, was her name Leah? Leah? Leah. Leah said, yeah. you, know, that, you know, that she's, she's a musician that happens to be a Christian, you know, and I heard that as I was sort of growing up as a Christian in that, I, I heard that line a lot, and, it, and I understood what people meant by it, and then one day I was like, oh, hell no. Oh, I'm, I'm a Christian artist. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian everything. I'm not a person who happens to be a Christian. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm a Christian. Like, I'm a no, Christian who happens to write. Yeah. Like, I happen to write. I don't happen to be a Christian. Yeah. 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 And I just, and there was, there was something, again, maybe it's that contrarian in me, maybe it's that old punk rock thing, but it's like, as everyone was kind of going with this safe, it's like, no, I'm, I'm a Christian. Everything I do is Christian. And so I would, I would push back a little bit on that. And I think in the spirit of the Reformation, I think that needs to be pushed back a little bit on is like, no, we, we are unapologetic. Like, no, like, no, I'm, I'm a Christian. Everything I do is Christian. I go make a music video for Kid Rock. I'm making a Christian music video. For Kid Rock. For Kid Rock, right? And he has to adhere to my standards. Yeah. Or else I don't do it. And that's actually how I ended up doing a Kid Rock video. I met him doing a Zach Brown music video. We were hanging out, and he had said, hey, man, he's like, maybe we should do a video at some point, you know? I was like, as soon as you're ready to take stripper poles out of your video, call me. And it was like two years later, I get a phone call from his manager, and said, he says, Bobby said he's ready to take stripper poles out of his videos, and said to call you. Oh, man. <laughs> That's how it's done. That's right. That's how it's done. I was going to follow up. I was like, when people clap, you got to just stop. Like, well, that's, see, okay, that's, that's what we try to communicate often, and, and we're not perfect at doing it, is just when we talk about the lordship of Jesus Christ over every realm, I think a lot of people's response to that, believers, Christians will say, well, of course. But we go, no, no, like, really? Yeah. Like, really, like, infect the message of Jesus and the biblical worldview into every single area 
that he created, you know, you brought it up. This is, no, you, you did. We all brought it up today. This is God's world that he's given to us. The meek shall inherit the earth. Abraham's descendants will inherit the world. This world belongs to Jesus Christ. He has all authority over it. He's given um, it to his people, and this is ours. It's ours. If you're not in Christ, you're visiting. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And so um, film, uh, whether it's music videos, whether it's movie, television, writing, whatever it is, like uh, believers should realize that God cares about that. He cares about it a lot. And we ought to really be taking ownership of it for the glory of Jesus Christ. And when you have Kid Rock take a stripper pole out of his video because he so values your work that he says, well, I have to stop sinning to get that quality, then I say, we win. Um, <laughs> and that, that, yeah. that's, that's dominion. That's yeah. dominion, that, and that's what we mean. And it is, it is, it's not, I wouldn't say it's winning, it's assuming the center, it is dominion, it's asserting your standard, God's standard over theirs. So, I mean, it's, as far as it goes, I'm, I'm really sympathetic to the whole situation when people are trying to shake off a brand, they're trying to shake off Christian as a brand which has been created by marketers, you know, to actually sell to a particular demographic. And, and Lecrae is trying to say, I'm not just selling to that brand. I'm trying to sell to everybody. Uh, that's fantastic. I've got no problem with that. But that, that's not walking away from the cross. That's walking away from Lifeway. You know, it's like, or just selling in Lifeway. And Come that's, on, Chick-fil-A, stop selling to everybody. Yeah, exactly. So stop, stop selling to everyone. Um, you know, when the Israelites were told to go steal all their neighbor's gold and then run, you know, just, hey, could you go to your neighbors, say you need to borrow that necklace, everybody borrow your neighbor's gold, and then we're taken off. Um, you know, plundering the Egyptians really means something. Uh, but we are far more in the situation where we're now in the promised land. We're not running from Egypt. It's like we're in the promised land. If there happen to be giants here, like, will you go over to them and you say, thank you for this land? Like, this, this is ours now. Um, thank you, Capitol Records. Fantastic. It's like, these are some, some wonderful grapes that you have that are now, that are now mine. Um, so I've got no, I have no problem. Now, if he says, oh, I need, I need to change my, change my songs. I need to stop being me. And that, and that used to be the CCM crossover, right? Like, I'm going to do some poppy songs. I'm going to shift from the Jesus song to the boyfriend song. Um, that's a different issue. But if Lecrae raps about his car, I have no problem with that because his car belongs in God's world. If he raps about mowing his lawn or anything else or barbecuing with his friends, I'm fantastic with that. It doesn't have to be gospel uh, explicitly stated in every song because God didn't write the gospel in your grass and he still made the grass mm -hmm. and the grass is still his. So I mean, his dominion extends over everything and we can celebrate his artistry and his ownership of all of it, all of the time. I think, uh, I missed this, but Marcus was telling me, Leah said something cool. Um, she's like, if, if, if I'm a plumber, I don't just fix Christian toilets. Right, yeah. Right. Right, and so that's kind of the idea, like, so Lecrae can only s sell to Christians, you yeah. know, or right. whatever. Hey, what's up, Jude? Yeah. What's up, Judah? Say hi to the world. So, um, you, yeah. That's Joy, what, it, Joy, that's, we got this, okay. like, yeah, they're asking for input. Well, real fast, uh, it's, uh, someone said, made a comment here that um, uh, on IMDB, 
Notes from the Tilt-A-Whirl has an 8.3 out of 10, whereas the Big Lebowski has only an 8.2 out of 10. So Whoa. you beat the Big Lebowski. Hey, the Dominion. Speaking of notes from a Tilt-A-Whirl, <laughs> if you have my DVD copy, I want it back. Thanks. Yeah. Also, uh, they, those are all the same voters on IMDb, too. Yeah. <laughs> exact same people. <laughs> uh, Joy, do you want to say something? I was just going to say I really want to hear the mowing the lawn rap. The mowing Does anyone the... have that? He said if Lecrae wants to write a rap about mowing his lawn, and I yeah. kind of want to hear that. That'd be fantastic. I'll write him one. I'll say Aaron, do you have one in you? <laughs> that would be an awesome no, I would just make the video for it. Oh, that's right. It also could be really no great because you really pole. rap. The world would think it's all about weed, but it's just about his lawn. <laughs> <laughs> Just call it grass, yeah. and we're good. Call me Lecrae. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, it, this is kind of along the same lines. When we uh, our Wednesday night vocab was doing a talk on Star Wars and Christian theology, and we had in the live comments a certain gentleman literally said, "You can't have fun with theology." And which was a really ridiculous statement. Um, and I was, my response was, how can we be salty if we have no flavor, right? Wait, you, you, you can't be fun with, with theology? Yes, like you if you're talking fun. about anything theological, it has to be oh, God, very yeah. stiff and rigid. Okay. You guys know you're Presbyterian. <laughs> yeah, well, Presbyterian just means that we, like, we drink bourbon and you drink light beer. On the, <laughs> on the theology, like, the, theologically speaking. That's... Theologically speaking. <laughs> um, it's a metaphor. Anyways. <laughs> thanks, Nate. It's been fun. Um, anyways, I was hoping you guys could be serious the about the that Theology uh, is not fun. Like, um, you know, we... Serious all the time. Like, it's a serious which, which matter. Brings, which brings... If you didn't get a chance to see it, if you're watching a live stream right now, on our channel right now is Nate's talk from earlier today, and so it's all about that. I, I mean, Nate, talk to us about enjoying God and his world in light of somebody who's, who says theology can't be fun. Well, I think that the, the problem is a fundamentally reductionistic philosophy that's trying to boil the flesh off of everything and just find the bones. And then try to like disintegrate the bones and just find the essence of the bones and you know the blueprint of the bones and that's what they think of when they mean theology. So theology is the skeletal structure, the architecture of truth. So if we're if we're pursuing the architecture of truth and God's truth in the world, then we're talking about theology, right? Yeah. It's like talking about you know what physics can't be fun. It's like it can't be fun. Well, it flies airplanes. I mean, like dragonflies are using it. It's it's fantastic. When you, when you put the flesh on it the way God intended, when you actually, like, you have incarnational theology, you have your architecture that's sound, and you figured out the architecture of God's truth in the world, you're discussing your theology. Now let it run. Now let it fly. Like, put, put flesh on it and mean it. So what I was talking about today was meaning what you say. Yeah. Don't just stay on the blackboard where you say, yes, ex nihilo creation, yes, sovereignty. Like push that out until you see it moving around in the world, until it has flesh on. Yeah. So theology kept on the blackboard, just on the blackboard, and never pushed out into the world. I agree, that's not fun. 
It's like, it isn't. If it doesn't go off the blackboard, if it doesn't mean anything about what's happening out in, in the actual real world, it'd be pointless. It would just be riddles and, you know, Sudoku, um, which I kind of enjoy. But uh, so I like theology. I, I love theology. But I love theology the way I love a rib cage, you know, so the way I like, you know, quadriceps and what they can do. So it's like if you if you put it in action, it always you have to take it out into the world and and let it move. I got a theology story for you. Okay, go, Darren, go. We have time. Are we still just? Are we just we have time. Yeah. Just going? All right. I, uh, to me, that this this is a good example of why I think theology is fun. However you def uh, however we're defining theology, but I think what most people mean by theology is being really geeky into the Bible and trying to like learn all these doctrines and and you know dig into things and. Um, so, um, earlier as I was talking, I, you know, um, somewhere around my junior or senior year in high school, stopped drinking, stopped partying, all that stuff, and so I didn't drink forever. So when, when I became a Christian, I didn't drink, and I was like, even better, I'm like double holy. <laughs> I remember thinking like, not still only a Baptist. Become, yeah, not only did I, did I just become a Christian, I'm like, I'm like super moral. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like double anointed portion, like I don't drink. You know, like, this, this is fantastic. And I didn't drink, and um, so I was the sober guy. And um, years later, because I love theology, every year I'd sort of pick something to kind of dive into. And um, one year I picked wine. I wanted to just kind of, you know, I know, Jesus does like, you know, like, I'm wine. Like, I'm wine. It's like, oh, maybe I'll kind of dig into the Bible on wine. Just kind of look into wine, you know. I spent almost a whole year just going through the Bible, looking at wine, how it's used. Um, when you start digging into something, I mean, it gets super fascinating. When did wine first appear? When did fruit first appear? It's back in creation. You've got this first, I think it's end of day three. I think that ties into day three, Jesus' resurrection. And there's really cool things going on there. What is wine? Wine, you actually have to take grapes and you have to kill them. You have to smash it. You have to, just, you have to kill it. You have to, to bury it, you have to put it in somewhere dark, and then, late, then after time, it comes out, it's totally new, it's glorified, you got this Jesus picture thing going on, it's like, in theology, all of a sudden it gets fun, it gets really cool, and you're going through this stuff, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got, you know, what was the Nazarite vow, and okay, well, oh, with the, and, you, and you can't have grape, even grapes or wine, all of a sudden the Bible's making these distinctions between grape and wine, all of a sudden I'm talking to my Baptist friends at that point, going like, people say, well, grapes, you know, and, you know, wine or grapes, you same thing, well, I don't know, but the Nazarite vow actually makes it very clear, like, not to touch even grapes or wine, seems like they are different. Theology gets you thinking about that stuff. I'm digging into it. I'm going through it. And then something hits me because I'm, at that time I'm thinking about communion. Because that's what theology does. It does everything. It, hit, it rolls. It starts going. You start seeing that it's, it's this paradigm shifting. Like all this stuff begins to happen all because of theology. Because theology is just boring, right? But it starts to move. And all of a sudden thinking about communion. Well, Bible does say take, you know, maybe we should do communion every, you know, on, on every Sunday. I'm not quite sure how anyone gets around that, especially people who are all into the Word. I mean, you're, we're talking Reformed people about the Word, Word, Word. How do you dance around not taking communion every time you gather? Well, we have some extra biblical concepts and ideas of why we're not going to do that and blah, blah, blah. Okay, theology gets you thinking about that more and more, and you're going and you're going. And then all of a sudden it hits me that wine... Burns. I take grape juice. It's sweet. It's fun. My kids love it. Then you take wine, 
Woo! Burns. It's fire. God is a consuming fire. You think, oh, well, Darren's on the skinny branches right now. He's just, he's just reaching. Then you go back and you look at fire all throughout the Bible. This is what theology does. You're doing another Bible study. And I'm still not drinking yet, I'm drinking, but all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm reading and I'm going like, man, like I, I feel, man, I'm, I'm sober, I don't drink, I'm a Christian, and, and I, I, but man, there's wine everywhere. God's a consuming fire, I, I wonder, you know, and then I'm up in Idaho, this is why he probably moved there. This is the part of the story I thought was going to be told. Yeah, and, well, no. That's what, see, that's what theology does. You just start going. You always end up in Idaho. Yeah, end up in Idaho, and that's why I wore the shirt. And um, I'm leaving, and a, Nate and a good friend, Aaron Wrench, and, and we're there, and, and uh, they, they kind of know my position. that They know I'm all for drinking, but I don't drink, and the Bible talks about it. I'm leaving, about to get on the airplane, and Aaron Wrench looks over and goes, hey, man, I, just, I know we had a good time here and stuff, and I know you don't drink and all, but you're all for it, and blah, 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 and this and that. But if you don't drink, he says, who's going to teach your daughters to drink? I was kind of going through like the security. I was like, teach my daughters. <laughs> All right, bro, later. And I got on the plane. I was like, teach my daughters to drink. Why would it teach my, I'm not opposed to. So am I the, so they're going to look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm the Jesus guy in the family. I'm dad. And they're going to look at Jesus in the Bible. And it seems like Jesus drank wine and. You know, when you could say, well, there's no verse that says Jesus never drank wine. Well, there's no verse that says Jesus ever drank water, so ease up. Um, <laughs> that's what theology does. You start getting into all that stuff. <laughs> and then I was like, wow, I'm gonna, I need to start drinking. I need to learn how to do it, be responsible, because I want to be a part of this theological picture God has created and designed, and he's got this thing out there. He said, I am wine. I came home, my wife, I said, Honey, I, I need to learn to start drinking. And she was like, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I have a way better marriage now. That's what theology does. Theology makes things better. Theology gets you drinking. Theology gets you dancing. Theology gets you just celebrating things, enjoying food. That's, that's what yeah. theology does. And for all you married, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it makes it better. It makes, that's what theology does. And if it's not doing that... You're gay. <laughs> mark, mark, that, mark that. Mark that. Mark that. Just mark that. Um, so, uh, by the way, gay happy birthday theology. to Len Armstrong. Uh, Theology's gay if it's not doing that. <laughs> happy birthday to Len Armstrong. Um, he actually says that if we announce this... <laughs> If we announce his birthday on the show live, he will convert to post-millennialism. So happy birthday to Len Armstrong. So, yes. And welcome. Welcome to Optimism. Nate, I think Nate has something to say. Just say, Len, if that's what it takes, we don't want you. Yeah. Oh. You have to mean it, Len. Uh, so, I was such a sucker for that. I was like, yeah, let him in. Nate was very Presbyterian. Hold on. I would just like to say How that serious are you? He put his face down to the stream instead of lifting the water up. Go home. You <laughs> <laughs> can take this world without you. That's what theology does. <laughs> Better jokes. Better jokes. If you're theologically informed. Um, the perspective right, 
is different um, here. Uh, even the, there's a difference between Presbyterians and Baptists, but we, there's, there's this real connection that we all have uh, and understanding we have to like where the world is going, right? And it's different. It's different than a lot of modern evangelicals in the West. Yeah. Even, with, even, with our, even with our differences, this is important to talk about, even with our differences between Presbyterian and Baptists, right here, there's this real essential understanding that we have. We're like, I know, we know, we know, when it comes to law, when it comes to justification by faith, yeah. when it comes to the future of the world. And so our perspective sounds different to a lot of people. I mean, I got attacked this week. I got messages, bombarded with messages, people saying critical things about uh, what we say on Apologia Radio in terms of like the culture being transformed. I mean, I, I yeah. said, I said, well, here's what I mean by that. I mean, like Jesus, great commission, um, make disciples, teach them to obey. I said, when people are converted to Jesus, I believe sanctification is a real thing, that their lives change and they love God. And so because they're changed, they love God now, the culture becomes different. So you go from a, uh, Henry Ventil said, um, uh, culture is, is religion externalized. Yeah. So if, if the, I, I think that's a good definition. Culture is religion externalized. So if the religion of the people changes, then that means it's the culture of Christ now. Yeah. So we're talking about gospel transformation and change, but people say, no, like you're thinking like too big and long-term. God doesn't care about this mess, but here you have Presbyterians and Baptists talking about, no, he does care about this mess a whole lot, and he's doing something about it. He did something about it at the cross, and now that work is now getting legs on it around the world, and we're talking a lot about that. So it does sound peculiar to someone who's tuning in after tuning into the last 50 years of pessimism and yeah. abandonment of culture. They hear Presby's and Baptists talking about, no, let's get in it. So I just want to talk about it. I'm going to talk about winning. I'm going to talk about that we have a perspective that is long-term, yeah. and it's invested. I'm going to it, tee this up, because I, I just talked a lot. I'm going to tee this up for Nate, whether you like it or not. I was, yeah, okay, go. I'm going to tee it up. Do it. One thing I love about being around Nate is I can ramble something like, blah, 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 and I just throw it to Nate, and he'll <laughs> wordsmithies it up. Um, I think the reason why we're seeing that now, one is, is we're seeing that Calvinism was this, was this great thing for the last 20 years, that it convinced a lot of people in Christendom to be like, yeah, Jesus is Lord over everything. That's right. And then what happened is eventually they started having kids. And they were like, I remember, I mean, I was as nine-point Calvinist as you could get. And before, and before I had kids, we actually bought a house. I remember thinking, like, there's a public school right there. It was amazing. We bought a house, a little green belt for the public school. Then we had kids, and I was like, we're going to send it, whoa, 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 oh, wait, wait, hold on, wait, and I think what we're seeing right now is this generation right now is having kids, we're raising kids, and all of a sudden, Baptist, Presby, whatever, whatever else is left out there. Um, we don't even know, what, what else now? Lutherans, um, <laughs> with the lisp. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was praising for a second, but there, um, once you start realizing that you have kids and those kids need to be raised and how are they going to be raised in what environment it it changes everything and where we're at in the culture right now those decisions have never been hotter 
than, than they've ever been in the last hundred years in this, in this country. Nate, finish it up, please. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, it's what I your think, dad did, and your dad yeah. saw this. Yeah, so it's, it is very, uh, the, the decisive strategic point for the culture wars, to use the old like political phrase, uh, is children, is the next generation. Because I'll, I'll tell you a secret. Um, people who really hate God a lot and are living for themselves completely are not reproducing. Like, they're not having kids. That's right, yeah. It's just, it, they aren't. Christians and believers, Muslims and Christians, basically, throw the Mormons in there, believers of different stripes are the ones having children. And those children either get consumed, taken into the government pipeline, and indoctrinated in a certain way, and made, you know, weaponized, really, as, as instruments of pop culture, and they accelerate the decay, belong to the, the zeitgeist and everything else. And evangelicals and Christians have continued to just be the breeding cows for the decay. Like, that's, that's it. They, that's it. Um, and it's, I remember being 12 years old, standing at a homosexual rally up against the wall. This is the kind of thing that happens when you're Doug Wilson's kid. Um, <laughs> and we had arrived, and there's, there's the, the dykes on bikes were there, and the lesbian Avengers, and all these different groups had, had showed up to be here hostile and attacking. And that's, that's a real group, the Dykes on Bikes. Dykes on Bikes, that, yeah. They were that real. wasn't just a slur, that was, that was a real group. Yeah, and so they're there, and they've, it's standing room only. They've, they've pre-packed the room. It's, everybody's chanting, angry, and my dad gets there. We, we get there, and there is a lot of spitting going on at the entrance. Uh, then he just writes a note, please call the police, like, please call 911 tucks it into his pocket to be ready, and goes up on stage and tells me, like, go hang out by the wall. Like, just go over there. So I'm over on the wall watching people scream and spit and chant. And one of the things among lots of obscenities that got said was somebody was screaming, your children are ours, Doug. Your children are ours. And I'm standing here up against the wall. They said other things, too. But that was the, that was the big repeatable one. So that's the only thing I can repeat about what they were saying. But your children are ours. And my dad's up on stage, and he just starts laughing. Like, there's, there's a couple hundred angry, screaming people flipping him off and chanting and stomping. He's had to write a note to call the cops just to be ready in case they come for him. I'm out in the audience with them, and they're chanting that they have me, that they have my sisters. And he's laughing at this. He's just up there laughing. And he just, he finally, they, they died down, and he just says, yeah, not mine. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not, not at all. And so he's been instrumental in the education movement since 1981. Tens and tens of thousands of kids now are educated through Christian curriculums, which he helped design and pioneer in schools, which he, he started the one in Moscow, Idaho, and there's now a couple hundred in imitation, you know, schools in France and Indonesia in imitation, northern Iraq, you know, schools all over the U.S., 40,000 students in the actual association, tens of thousands more in homeschool curriculum based off of that. Africa's got a couple hundred a day. Yeah. Company. So it's just, wow. I mean, it's, 
it's essential that we raise kids to be jovial, jolly, unintimidated warriors who celebrate the glory of their father in a completely unintimidated and unafraid way. So part of that is learning history. When you take education away and you say, hey, so we're just going to let Caesar tell all the stories. Let's let Caesar tell the stories. Guess what? Stories aren't going to be about Boniface or St. Patrick or Augustine. Stories aren't going to be about Ridley and Cranmer. Stories aren't going to be about Luther or Athanasius. Like those stories won't be told. Now, if you, if you start to be pessimistic about the history of the world, in order to not be a post-millennialist, for all you non-post-millennialists, in order to not be a post-millennialist, you have to not know anything about history. Like, I really believe that. You have to have not paid any attention at all to what has happened since 12 dudes were told to go subdue the nations. 12 dudes. Hey, just go take care of it. That was awfully intimidating, especially when they started getting burned and stoned and lit on fire. Uh, and then you have different points in time. We've got one guy. You've got Martin Luther, like every, all the decay, 500 years since Luther. Uh, yeah, that's, that, we have no reason for optimism. One, one dude with a hammer and a piece of paper at a church door, and look at the fruit that's born. It's like one guy taking a stand and what God does with that spark and what he does to push it through. So when you look at history and you look at the rise and fall, you look at these, the rise of faithfulness and the fall into decay, and you look at the next generation that comes up in the ruins, it's like, and you look at the next generation that catches fire, you never know when Spurgeon's going to show up and, and be Spurgeon. Like, you never know when Bunyan's going to invent dialogue in the, in the Christian novel with Pilgrim's Progress. Like, and here it is, and now an entire new art form is created by Christian evangelism. And it just, it goes and it goes and it goes. So when you look at the numbers in Korea and Africa and all around the world, you look at the conversion rates, and, you, and basically what we have is people who get pessimistic because United States politics is, is kind of, you know, in the outhouse. Yes. Like, yeah, there's, there's phases that are in the outhouse. But there's been other times when there's been one guy with a rope belt like in Germany, telling people to stop human sacrifice. And that guy with the rope belt saying, I'm going to chop down your sacred oaks, and he does. He goes into the sacred groves where they sacrifice the kids, and he's like, this is done. By the way, I don't care about private property rights. These trees belong to Jesus. No. And in the name of Jesus, I'm chopping them down. But our God's going to kill you when you get to the tree. Yeah, it's like, you're going to die. And Boniface chops them down. Chops down all the sacred oaks. Like, no more. You're done. Germany, like fast forward, you got Martin Luther, Martin Luther there. You had to have massive Christianity even in order to get to the point of decay. Like just to get to the point of decay, you had to have huge conversion and then you slowly fall away and then you have fire and huge conversion and then fire. Yep. Read the stories God tells in history. Like the his, all of the stories from the early church fathers on and, you, and then look at where we are right now. And I'll tell you this. This is the ultimate proof for post-mill optimism. Would I rather live right now or in 1880? Mm. Would I rather live in 1880 or 1710? Like, would I rather live and just start hopping back, like, and further and further back? Now, there's years and decades and periods where you'd be like, I don't want anything to do with the Spanish Inquisition. Um, no, thank you. Uh, I'd rather just hop over that part. But when you look at the advance of the, of the gospel and what it does when it frees men, 
like when it makes men brothers, when it erases racial animosity, when it breaks down the boundaries of nationalism, when you look at what Christianity does over time, I don't, I don't see how you could possibly be pessimistic. Like the gospel is going out. How can you be pessimistic? Jesus is not going to lose. It's not going to happen. Um, I was just going to add, I recently, I've been reading through uh, Family Shepherds by Vadi Bakum, and he has a really great quote that's perfect for this, and he talks about Adam and how Adam's job was to take dominion, and he says he was to expand the boundaries of Eden yeah. and make everything like Eden, which I love that, that idea in that picture, but then at the end of the quote he says, basically, this cannot be done without family discipleship. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when I raise five kids, and I've got five, I want them to be more dangerous, like more equipped, more scary and unafraid than I am. It's like I want them to be out there. You know, it's like going. Which and is a very scary concept. Here. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, but that's the goal. And then you want them to be unintimidated and fearless, and which means training, which means history classes, which means linguistic ability. You can't just be like, we're just going to teach character and you know, good attitudes. Well, that's great, that's fantastic. But logic, formal logic, like the, I mean, I remember getting in trouble in a college classroom, that, which happened more than once, um, but getting in trouble in a college classroom when a, a professor called on me and said, what do you think of this? And there's a thing on the board, because I love philosophy, theology, and, and I said, well, you know, it's a, it's a basic, it's a real fundamental ad populum fallacy. And he said, did you have logic last semester? And I was like, this is my first semester of freshman year. I was like, no, I did not. He's like, where'd you get the Latin name? I was like, eighth grade? <laughs> you know, it's like, so, okay. And, you know, we've, my dad and I just did a book um, called A Bestiary of Adorable Fallacies. Just walking through, identifying all these different cultural, logical fallacies that people use all the time, identifying them. We actually have these little cartoon animal monsters that go with each one. And a little fictional look stories. Look it up, World Wide Web. Please so, look it up. Bestiary of adorable fallacies, and we we did it for eighth graders, like junior high kids, because we want to inoculate and immunize them against th these particular types of folly. We want them to be clear-eyed and scary and ready ready to go out. So you can't just say we have to raise our kids right without weaponizing them, without giving them the equipment to do it, without teaching them history, honestly, getting them an ability with words, an ability with language and communication critical thinking, formal logic, like it's hard raising the next generation. But since 1981, it's been being done, my father's been involved in it, and it's grown every single year, it's been expanding. And the, the more rotten the public school system gets, the more people kind of wake up and, and start to pull out and, and try to really equip their kids to deal with this world we're in. Right on. This has been awesome. You guys blessed? Oh yeah. Good. All right guys, so, um, we're going to wrap up this program now. First live episode of Apologia Radio. Darren Doan, give him a round of applause, guys. Thank you. Nate Wilson. Thank you guys for joining us. Everyone on the live stream. We still are streaming tomorrow. Uh, first session's at 9 a.m. Am I right about that or 9.30? 9. Okay, yeah, somewhere around 9 or 9.30 a.m. I'm teaching first tomorrow. I'm teaching on the importance and necessity of sola scriptura, but it's going to be more of an epistemological discussion, which means it's ultimately about this. How do I know? Because God says. That's why. And so that's kind of the goal tomorrow. 
uh, to get that across. Also, we have tomorrow a live broadcast of the Reformed Pubcast. Cheers and amen. Uh, with Les and Tanner. Hopefully, pray for uh, Tanner's flight. He's coming in tomorrow, yeah, so it's like he lands and then we're going to grab him and, and throw him on stage, kind of is how it's going to happen. So that's what's up. Thank you guys for joining us. We're going to get set here for our concert with Eshawn Burgundy, Ivy Connerly, and Four Known. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us for Apologia Radio. Yeah.